Society on January 21st, 1964. We will be discussing early days in Stratford with Mr. Frederick Booth, curator of Judson House and Museum, who has been a lifelong resident of Stratford. Also on the record are Mr. Edmund Judson. The feminine voices are Jane Hawkins and Vivian Knapp. And now, Mr. Booth, we're going to ask you the big question. When were you born in Stratford? September 26, 1881. In Orinoke? Yes. And uh, you have farmed there for many years? Yes. And tell us about the size of the farm and just where it was located. The farm was about 50 acres and it's located where the Sikorsky Air Factory is now. And the neighbors around there, there were other farms, there were mostly farms in that area? Yes, they were all farms in the neighborhood. Uh, who were some of the people who had farms in uh, J. Henry Blakeman, Carl Steve Blakeman, Frank E. Blakeman, George A. Tomlinson, and Anson H. Blakeman, and uh, uh, Jefferson Clark. And you went to school in Orinoke? There was a school there. Yes. Uh, was there an Orinoke school district? That's the, that's the Orinoke was the name of the school district. There were ten, ten such districts in Stratford prior to 1856. Uh-huh. And uh, where did you go to do your shopping and so forth? We used to go to Bridgeport. Not to Stratford East Center? Bridgeport. Of course, Stratford Center wasn't very large then. Mm-hmm. You mean about East Main Street? Thereabouts? Yeah. Yes. Mm -hmm. Or in East Bridgeport. There was a grocery store uh, conducted by C.K. Bishop. Corner East Main Street uh, near the rail railroad. We did most of our shopping. And what kind of transportation? How'd you carry home? Horse and wagon. Yeah? <laughs> Those were horse and buggy days. No trolleys? No, the trolley didn't come in until 1900. Did you have sleighs? Sleighs? <laughs> oh, yes. I used to go to, and I used to be very good sleighing. I wonder, I know that my uh, great-grandmother uh, lost her eyesight going to church in an open sleigh in very cold weather. Oh, really? Mm -hmm. Did she ever regain it? I think not. How about snow removal? Did the town plow it all? No, we used to get out with an ox cart and sled and, and pack it down. Oh. Ox, oxen and sled. Then it's true that the winters were more severe then than they are now, is that right? I think so. I think we had more snow. You'd never get away with sleighing today. <laughs> well, that's I'm because sure. the roads are plowed out, of course. Yeah, but even so, it doesn't seem to be that deep. No. Mm -hmm. Uh, how many animals did you keep on the farm? We had quite a small farm. We only kept a few half a dozen cows, sometimes as many as half a dozen cows. Small flock of poultry. And of course, we raised all our uh, own vegetables, fruit, vegetables, and butter and eggs. And, and, and your farm machinery was run by horses then? Horses yes. Horses driven plows? The machinery we had was strong. Did you make cheese and that sort of thing too? We didn't make any cheese, you didn't? no. Except the cottage cheese. My mother used to make cottage cheese. Uh-huh. And butter. What about herbs? Did uh, did she have an herb garden of any didn't kind? Didn't bother much with herbs. Uh -huh. <laughs> or spices? No. 
It's the vegetable garden. Strawberry patch. Asparagus bed. Mm-hmm. Your land didn't go down to the river then? No, it didn't. Uh, there was this uh, uh, marsh meadow in between the river and our property. Mm-hmm. And uh, what about on the river? Was the fishing good in those days? Oh, the fishing, the uh, shad fishing was a great uh, industry in the spring when the shad came up to uh, spawn. Mm-hmm. Did everybody go out? Well, no, there used to be rights along the riverbank uh, because they had to have uh, a place on shore to operate their nets. Mm -hmm. There were two methods of catching shad <coughs> by a scene, which was a net with uh, relatively small meshes, which they, uh, they load on a rowboat and uh, fasten one edge to the shore, pay it out in a circle, and bring the other end around it to a capstan and draw it in. But the other method was what's called a gill net. This net was uh, <coughs> made with meshes just large enough for a fish to poke his head through and then he was caught by the gills. Mm -hmm. This was stretched straight across the river at night. That was commercial fishing then? Yes. Mm -hmm. uh, then did you, did you salt them then? Oh yes. Shad used to be about 25 cents a piece. There's <laughs> <laughs> the salt down nothing. <laughs> was there much shipping on the river? It used to haul coal to Derby, yes. Mm -hmm. And, uh, well, before my memory, but there used to be quite a good deal of, uh, of shipping from Derby in the early days. Mm -hmm. It was uh, quite a port of, of entry. Fred, I've heard a lot about this salt hay. Did they take the cat or the machines out onto the islands, or did you do it in that salt meadow you referred to? The salt, the, this uh, hay, uh, this uh, Ornoak meadow was uh, fresh grass. It wasn't salt hay up as far up as that. But it used to be mostly it had to be mowed by hand. It was, it was boggy and couldn't drive a machine on it. Some of it had to be even uh, carried off on what we call stang poles by hand to dry the ground. Now, what is that? What is a stang pole? Well, it's a cedar pole, uh, bent something like a bowl, and two cedar poles, and you could make a pile of hay and shove these under and pick it up and carry it off. Two men. Mm -hmm. And where would you get the salt hay? The salt hay was down uh, the southern part of the town. Everybody used to own a uh, strip down there. This salt hay was much prized as bedding for stock. Mm -hmm. And also, uh, I suppose it, uh, there were minerals in it that uh, enriched the land. How did you know which strip was yours? How did they decide? <laughs> well, <laughs> of course, it was all mapped off. We knew why. Mm -hmm. It's all little stone markers at the corners. And this would be down toward Lordship? Yes. Mm -hmm. Okay. What about hunting, Mr. Booth? Would you, did you have wild animals up there? The uh, most hunting they did was shoving for rail. The, uh, uh, some of the people used to have uh, skiffs and a long pole, and the hunter would sit in the boat, and they'd shove it in high tide, they'd shove it up in the bushes and uh, the reeds, and the rail would be flushed, and they'd catch, catch, shoot the rail. Mm -hmm. A rail's big bird, Fred. Not very. Small, I think. Rather small. Mm -hmm. And then you ate them? Yes. Mm -hmm. so, uh, no more of those today around no, here. No, they don't seem to be. Mm -hmm. You referred in the beginning, Fred, to Stratford Center. Was there anything in the center then as we know it now? Oh, yes. There were a few buildings. Post office, town hall. Oh, of course, now in the early days. Very much. 
There was a post office in Orioles, wasn't there? Yes, for a time. Mm -hmm. I don't know exactly when that was uh, first organized. It must have been in the uh, 1800s, mm -hmm. early 1880s. And uh, uh, first it was in a store that uh, stood by the Merrick Parkway now across Main Street. And uh, Mr. Samuel Morse, storekeeper, used to be the postmaster. Then uh, Mrs. Reuben Sparmer took over, and Mrs. Frank Blakeman, finally Mrs. Leon Baker. Mr. Benjamin Roddy used to bring the mail up from the center. And after that, Boston White for a while, then Huntington Thompson. I carried it for about a month, and then the uh, railway company took it over, Street Railway. After they laid the trolley in. Yeah. Mm -hmm. What about industry in Stratford? Why? What about the mills up on Farm Mill? There were mills, of course, yes. Uh, there was a paper mill, and a stump joint factory, pin factory, and saw mill. What's a, stump right mill? Hmm? What's a stump mill? What's a stump mill? Stump joints. Stump? They made uh, stump joints for carriage stops. Oh. The, uh, when they, uh, and what what kind of paper products did they make? Uh, just plain? When I knew they made uh, toilet paper of the mill. Mm -hmm. Was that called Far Mill? or what? Far Mill River. The near mill was down where uh, Pex Mill is. That was near mill. And oh. That was Far Mill. I see. Do you remember the Pex Mill disaster? Oh, yes. What was that? Uh, the, when the uh, trolley cars, electric cars, first began to run in 1900, almost the first day of opening, this uh, car was uh, the old-fashioned kind. They uh, had only two, uh, one truck, you know. And uh, the uh, fill before they came to the bridge, had not settled. And the motor was running too fast, and the car began to rock, and it struck the solid bridge. It rocked off the rails and tipped, on, tipped over into the, There was no water in the pond at the time. It was drained in the process of making the road, and really, the road was only just finished. The beginning of the... And quite a few people I think were over killed. 30 people were killed. Oh, really? Mm -hmm. Uh, on Fire Mill River, there is a, a long brick building, and I've been told that that was an old factory. Do you know anything about that? Well, that was the paper mill. Was that the paper yeah, mill? Paper mill was a right brick, there. gray brick. Yes. Mm -hmm. uh -huh. And was there a comb factory? The comb factory was down here at uh, Longbrook Avenue. Oh. Mm -hmm. And they got their power from the water in the river, did they? Yes. Yes. After they uh, discovered steam power, it was more profitable to manufacture things near the market. Mm -hmm. See, the, the reason they had them up there was because of the cheap power. Sure. Couldn't compete with the steam power. It always surprised me that Stratford never built right on this river, who's a tonic river, uh, factories like Shelton has, you know. Well, I guess the... Uh, uh, harbor facilities were better in Bridgeport, the reason Bridgeport built up. Mm -hmm. the, it was hard to keep the harbor dredged out here in Stratford, I think. 
Well, good for us. <laughs> I was going to ask you about disasters. What about a fire? I suppose you had one up there. The paper you? mill burned. I remember when the paper mill burned one night. How did the fire department get there? They didn't. They didn't. They didn't. They didn't. <laughs> <laughs> People uh, just came running and with a pail. <laughs> that's right. Fire right across uh, from my place burned one afternoon for no bad reason whatever. Was there a volunteer fire department up there? Well, no, we didn't have a special volunteer fire department. The house across the street burned one Christmas night. The barn down the street burned one night. Who'd the house across the street belong to? Uh, it uh, belonged at the time to the Chases, mm -hmm. George Chase. But I suppose a horse-drawn wagon couldn't get up to from the center in time to put a fire. No, and they wouldn't have had any water if they had. Fuel. Oh. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I was going to ask you more about the school. How many rooms were there? Just there. one room. Everybody got taught in the same room. Yes. Mm -hmm. How many grades? All grades. I mean, up to one grade. Eight. It wasn't grade. Uh -huh. You could go that, or you were sixteen. I see. Uh -huh. Mm -hmm. And. Uh, it was uh, about 17, I've forgotten the date, and that was... It started in the 1700s, did it? Yes. Mm -hmm. uh, well, if you were 16 when you got out of that, is why is that why uh, so many entered college at that awfully young age of 16? Does that account for it? They went directly Perhaps from a, so. a school like that right into a college? Yes. I know you don't read about very many today going in at 16 as they did then. The uh, Northern Oak School was established in 1716. Mm -hmm. The people of the district furnished the building and the uh, town paid the teacher which uh, was about three dollars a week, and she used to board around. The families furnished board in proportion to the number of children that they had. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Do you remember who the teacher was when you were there? Uh, Bertha, uh, Albertina Wilcoxon was the first one I remember. Mm -hmm. And uh, Bertha Clark, later Mrs. George Carey. Oh. When I was there. She uh, uh, founded a library in and uh, inaugurated the uh, custom of uh, displaying the United States flag every day over the schoolhouse. It wasn't customary in those days so much as it is now. <laughs> Did you go to Putney Chapel? Was that the church in the area? Well, no, they uh, used the schoolhouse for prayer meetings, the school, uh, Orono Schoolhouse. And even after Putney Chapel was built, they used to have the Sunday evening meetings at Orono, midweek meetings down at Putney. Where was the schoolhouse? Schoolhouse was near Thomas Blakens. Oh. Mm -hmm. That's the one up on the hill, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, where uh, Billy Whitten lives now? No, further up. Oh, the one that Stanley took. The one that Stanley took. Right. Mm -hmm. I was going to ask you about the, a blacksmith. Was there one up there? Yes, Henry Johnson. He was uh, Mrs. Webb's grandfather. Mm-hmm. And he had a shop in Orange. Yes. Mm-hmm. 
There was also one in Stratford Center, wasn't there? Uh, a blacksmith? I think so. There was one right down here at the foot of the hill. Mm-hmm. That's what I've heard. Ferry uh, Road. Yeah, Ferry Boulevard. Did they have an ice house up there? My grandfather had a small building he used to store ice in. He used to get ice from Peck's Mill Pond or uh, cut and placed on the platform for 50 cents a ton. <laughs> <laughs> oh, <no>. <laughs> <sighs> and they would bring it from Peck's Mill? No, we had to haul it. You had to haul it. In the horse and wagon again? Yes. Mm -hmm. If you didn't have it. A nice box where the cellar or the well did very well, but they weren't so convenient. Mm -hmm. Things would keep in the cellar, you know, it's cool. Butter, keep the butter down so. Keep your vegetables all winter there? Yeah. How'd you go about heating the house, Mr. Lee? Do you have central heating? Well, uh, we have stoves. Stove mm -hmm. in each room. Wood burners. Uh, we had burned wood in the kitchen. We had a coal burner in the uh, sitting room. Shut the other rooms up. <laughs> Bedrooms were cold. Yeah. On the coal, Fred, did you have to go get it? Yes. From where? Bridgeport? Well, they had a coal uh, uh, yard in Stratford, down here at the upper oh. dock. Oh, yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, what? Quite a, uh, it was quite a sad accident happened up the river uh, in connection with that. Uh, they used to haul the coal up the river. Canal boats and Ezra Wheeler, who married Sarah Tomlinson up in Orinoke, kept the coal yard down here by Upper Dock. And it was his habit when he wanted to visit his family up in Orinoke, his wife's family, he would uh, twist a rope attached to one of the barges around the thwart of his rowboat and hold the end in his hand. Then he got a tow up the river and they let go and they'd free his boat and he got to his destination. Time came when the rope tangled, tipped the boat over, and he was drowned. <laughs> was there a great deal of shellfishing, clamming, oysters? Down on the shore, Milford Shore. Not in Stratford. Yes, down Stratford Point. Yes, oh yes. How about deer, fox, things like that? Well, they're not so plenty then as they are now. There weren't so many deer around. No, of course foxes came around. And the chickens roosting outdoors, they picked them up. Mm -hmm. <laughs> they used to get partridge, gray squirrels, and such things. I don't never remember seeing any deer until recent years. Mm -hmm. How about water in the house? You had a we real had a well, of course. No, well, our uh, water came from a spring across the street, and the spring was high enough so we could have had running water all over the house, but it ran out in the backyard in the mm -hmm. tub. And when I had water, we got there for That was better than drawing it out of the well, of course. Very nice water, nice spring water. What did you do for entertainment in those days, or did you have the time? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, uh, day laborers used to uh, get 15 cents an hour and work 10 hours a day. Mm -hmm. The uh, laborers they hired by the month used to get uh, $30 a month in board, but they worked 16 hours a day. You had to do the chores night and morning and 10 hours in the field besides. Mm -hmm. 
We had no vacation but once in a while a day off, but then you had to be, come home to do the, be home to do the, take care of the stock night and morning. Mm -hmm. Did you ever get down to New York, and if so, how how would you get down there in in those days? Well, we'd have to take a train in Bridgeport. Uh, there was a the uh, was evidence that there was a ferry across the uh, river at the Point Orinoke, and when I was a boy, uh, there used to be a nice sandy beach there, and uh, folks kept. Rowboats anchored there and ferried themselves across the river when <clears throat> they wanted to take a train to the Baldwin Station, which was a flag station on the west on the Nautilus Road. Mm -hmm. The uh, train on the Nautilus Road used to come along about uh, noon. The whistle of that train was a good sign for dinner time. People working out in the field. Mm -hmm. We could also hear the uh, new missile at the Wheeling Wilson factory in Bridgeport. Okay. Uh, let's go back, Fred, to the beginning, the history of Orinoke. Do you have anything there that would be of interest to us? Orinoke was the name of the school district, of which there were ten in the town prior to 1856. Orinoke is an Indian name meaning Peaceful Valley, a name more appropriate when first given than now. There is no evidence that the Indians lived in the vicinity, but abundant, abundant evidence that they hunted there as the ground was strewed with arrowheads. Ephraim Stiles was one of the early settlers in 1667. His daughter, Phoebe, married Captain David Judson, who built Judson House. He had, they had ten children. Another daughter, Elizabeth, married my great-great-great-great-grandfather, Ephraim Curtis. They also had ten children. Ephraim Stiles had no sons, and the land passed into the hands of the Curtis family. My grandfather, Peter Curtis, had no sons, and when my father, George Bull, married his daughter, Mary, they came to live on the place and help work the farm. Ephraim Stiles' house was still standing when I was a boy. The chimney had been removed, and the stones probably used by my great-grandfather, Daniel Curtis, for the foundation of the house which he built nearby in 1805. My grandfather used the old Stiles house as a carriage house, workshop, and storage place for rye corn. The front wall of the, of the big front room had been removed and, by, and replaced by two big doors. Side walls were decorated with hand-painted fresco border next to the ceiling. The other front room was used for a workshop. One big room upstairs had two big bins built in for, to store rye. We had a small dog who was afraid of the thunder. One day during a shower, he went and hid in one of these bins and was not found for several days. <laughs> Near the front front window was a homemade machine for deseeding broom corn, which my, father, my grandfather raised and made his own brooms. There was a, also a machine for shelling corn. The other upstairs room was used for drying and storing corn on the cob. The lean door on the back had been removed and a small building built which was used for storing ice. And I told about the ice getting the ice fixed now. The uh, house where I lived was built by my grandfather's cousin Burt Curtis in 1796, whose family later sold it to my grandfather and moved to Southbury. 
All these houses have been destroyed by the march of progress. The oldest house now standing in Orinoke is one built by Reverend Nathan Birdsey for his son Ezra in 1742. Stands on Main Street about a half a mile south of Farmill River. A little farther south on Main Street stands the house built in 1830 by Nathan Birdsey, grandson of Reverend Nathan. On the land attached to this house is the spring found by Reverend Nathan Birdsey in answer to prayer during a great drought in 1762. Near this house stood the Orinoke Schoolhouse. Orinoke School was established in 1716. The people of this district furnished the building and Tom Stratford paid the teachers. The children had to walk, many of the children had to walk a mile or more in all kinds of weather and traveling. Sometimes the roads were very muddy or blocked with snow. Some children had to come across the Ustanic River. The town of Milford made special arrangements for the children who lived near the river to attend school, Arnoke School. Similar arrangements were made by, by Huntington after that town had been set off from Stratford, for children living short way north of the River. David Worcester, revolutionary fame, probably attended school in Orinoke. Also Gideon Thompson, who became governor and senator. Also Nathan Birdsey, who became a clergyman and lived over 100 years old. Also Bur uh, Birdsey Blakeman, who became a very successful businessman and donated our public library. One summer, a squaw blew down a large oak tree standing near the schoolhouse and nearly cut the building in two. Fortunately, it was during vacation and no one was in the building. Bertha Clark, who was teacher in the late 1800s, 1890s, started the school library in the practice of displaying the United States flag daily. This uh, custom was inaugurated by the election of a pole and form of flag raising with appropriate exercises. The schoolhouse was also used as a prayer meeting, even after Putney Chapel was built. Sunday evening prayer was held in the schoolhouse and midweek meeting in the chapel. Arnold School was consolidated with the center school in 1902. Putney Chapel was built in 1844, largely through the efforts of uh, Mr. William Booth, who lived in the house across the street. A bequest was received from Mrs. Harriet Northrup in 1889. She owned the house now occupied by Mr. O'Connor, together with the surrounding farmlands, which included the tract of woodland. When she died, the place was sold to the Wilson family, who were charcoal burners, and they converted the wood into charcoal. When I was a boy, the house where General Worcester was born was owned by Captain Charles Wakeley owned a barge and used to haul coal from Perth Amboy to Shelton. There were docking facilities on the riverfront and he used to tie his boats up there. He used to say that he never slept from the time he left Perth Amboy until his boats were safely home. He also owned a portable steam engine and saw rig and used to saw wood files for the neighbors. Once when they were hauling the engine across Farmell River with two barrel oxen, the bridge collapsed and threw the engine and the team into the river. The Worcester Place was later purchased by the Street Railway Company and run as an amusement park. There were a roller skating rink, merry-go-round, small zoo, dances, firework exhibits, and balloon ascensions were staged. 
So many people attended that the electric cars, which were not supplied with too much power in those days, were sometimes stalled all along Main Street. The house was burned in 1914, the chimney taken down in 1937. The place is now partly residential and partly gravel pit. In connection, well, this is done about the uh, as we go. Station, which was a flag station on the Norfolk Railroad, and so called because the family named Baldwin owned land nearby. When I was a boy, Clark Baldwin lived there and used to make boats. The train used to run on the Norfolk Road, which reached the point about 12 o'clock. The whistle from this train was a welcome sign to farmers working in the field as it was time for dinner. You could also hear the whistle from the Willer and Wilson sewing machine factory in Bridgeport. When the wind was east, the trains on the Naugatuck Road was to sound right in the, as if they were right in the backyard. And under certain conditions of the atmosphere, they would even jar the house. This was a good sign of stormy weather. On the other hand, when the wind was west, and we could hear the trains on Wistonic Road several miles to the west, this was a sign of clear weather. Another sign of storm was one could hear the surf on the south side of Long Island. There were not so many other noises in those days. None is about shanty. I think the winters used to be colder in those days. We used to skate an ice boat on the river and even haul timber across. Sometimes the ice would be two or three feet thick. When it broke up in the spring, it was quite an event. One spring, when the ice broke up, the jams formed at Washington Bridge. The water thus backed up drowned a horse in the basement of a barn owned by my mother's cousin, Lucius Curtis. A similar condition happened in the spring of 1904. At the time, I was caring for a cow in the same barn in the absence of its owner, Mr. Benjamin Ryder. As it was a wet night, I fortunately moved the cow from the basement to an upper floor of the barn. The next morning when I went down, the water debated, but there was an ice cake, three feet thick, sitting on the back steps. If I had, if the cow had been in the basement, she would undoubtedly have perished. I think the dumping of the factory waste and sewerage in the Norfolk River, which runs into the Wistonic, has something to do with the absence of ice and fish in the river. It's about Ornoke Meadows was a marshy bit of land, a tract of land beside the Wistonic River. Most of the farmers each had a section of the land from which they could obtain a profitable crop of hay each year with the expense only of the harvesting. My father used to peddle milk. He thought it was wrong to do anything unnecessary on Sunday, so he used to peddle his route on Saturday night. One Sunday morning, when he went to the barn to care for his stock, he found that his horse and wagon had been stolen. 
It happened that there was something peculiar about the sh shoe of the horse, so that a neighbor who was a deputy sheriff was able to trace the rig as far as New Milford, where I apprehended the thief. High days in those days, the highways in those days were dirt roads, and there was not much travel in the summer. <laughs> Boy, bicycles are about as plentiful as autos are now. We used to amuse ourselves Sunday afternoon keeping account of how many passed. There was quite a parade of horse-drawn buggies going to church on Sunday morning. There was some uh, rivalry asking who had the best team. Mr. Anson Bateman was generally ahead. The roads often were dusty in summer and muddy in spring. Many times in winter it was good sleighing. In the early days, of course, the settlers produced nearly everything they used. When I was a boy, we raised our own fruit, vegetables, eggs, poultry, butter, and pork, and beef. Some had flocks of sheep. We traded surplus vegetables, fruit, eggs, and so forth at the store for groceries. For cash crops, Many strawberries, peaches, and melons were raised. Some farmers raised sweet corn for seed, also turnip and onion seed. There were several herds of dairy cows. City people who owned horses were glad to buy hay and the long, straight rye straw for bedding. Rye was easy to grow and was ground into flour for bread and bran for the stock feed. We used to make pumpkin seeds in when planting corn, and the pumpkins grew well among the corn stalks. We used to sell them to the pie bakers by the ton. The land in Oak, like much of that in New England, is what the agriculturists call marginal, too sandy or too hilly and rocky. Cannot be successfully farmed in competition with the vast level and fertile fields of the West. In the winter, we worked in the woods, getting out fuel and, t and lumber. We liked to have some snow on the ground, as it was easier to handle wood with a sled. So it was about the day labor. Gravel banks in Oranoke were formed by glacial action and called by the geologists the 60-foot level of the glacio-locustrine deposits of the lower Wistanic Valley. The origin of the pebbles found in, the, in them can be traced back many miles to the north. I found a granite pebble which matched exactly granite found on Mount Cadillac in Maine. Now mighty earth-moving machinery has leveled out the hills, took nature centuries to build, and factory buildings have been erected, which employ many people and produce many useful and necessary aircraft. As, uh, the valley, although not so pleasing to the eye, is vastly more contributing to human welfare. <laughs>